as we sing those words, uh, we're reminded that um, although we can bear testimony to God's goodness to us, it's not always uh, fun and games uh, being a Christian. And uh, tonight's sermon might uh, speak, uh, or tonight's passage, I should say, might speak something of that as well. When I was preparing what I was going to say this evening, I thought I'd better start with a word of explanation to explain a couple of things. (coughs) Firstly, why am I here? And secondly, why am I choosing to preach from Genesis chapter 34, which we just uh, read together? And uh, if you're a visitor or you've missed the last few Sundays, you you might... um, you might not be fully aware that the teaching in our, in our church over the last few weeks and even the last few months has really been around a, a theme, especially in the morning services. We've had this theme of embers to a flame. And we're really looking at the revitalization of our congregation. We're looking for uh, revival, which is what we're praying for this evening. We're wanting to see the Holy Spirit use us and transform our lives and and transform other people's lives in the same way as the Holy Spirit was at work in the New Testament church, seeing people's lives changed and people brought in to the kingdom. And in recent weeks we've come to look at the nitty gritty of what, what are the conditions that we need to have, what are the things that need to be important to us as a church in order to make conditions for revival right in our hearts and uh, are more likely, you might say. So, for example, we had a series of sermons on prayer that you might remember. Um, and as a practical response to that, we had these prayer triplets set up, which quite a good number of us are involved in. And I can say from personal experience, it's been a, uh, something that's brought real blessing to me. So we want to see response to the preaching like that. And then uh, in more recent weeks, the teaching was about the importance of preaching and the importance of it being based on God's word. And a practical response to that was that uh, Ivor decided that some of the other men in the congregation should be involved in preaching, and that's part of the reason why I'm here tonight. But you're probably also wondering, especially if you're a visitor tonight, why Genesis chapter 34? There's a number of simple answers to that question. The most basic one is that that's the passage that Ivor told me to preach on. (laughs) If you come to this church most weeks, you'll know that we've been studying our way through Genesis. So that another answer might be that's the passage that we reached in Genesis. That's also true. But one question is, why why don't we just skip horrible passages like this? And let's be honest, it's it's not a comfortable part of the Bible to read. It it's, it's raises a lot of really quite distressing themes. I mean, as a, a thing to do on a Sunday evening, to come and read about rape, murder, deceit, treachery, a story which at the end ends with mass murder, horrible fear, family discord. It's not enjoyable reading. And uh, let's be honest about that. But as a church, we're committed to the principle that all scripture is useful. And so we actually had a sermon on that not long ago, 
And so we believe that passages like this, we, we don't have the right just to skip them because it's uncomfortable for us when we read them. It must be useful. The Holy Spirit has guided Moses to record this incident from the life of, of, of Jacob and his family. And so there must be something in it for us. But not only that, we also had a sermon recently which said, which talked about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And there Jesus spoke very clearly about beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He explained that all that is in the scripture, all that is in all the scriptures concerning himself. So what Jesus is saying is that the whole Bible points in some way to him and to his work in, of redemption, of, of saving us from our sins. The Bible is a, a unified whole. It, it's, it's, it's got that theme running all the way through it. And so when we come to a passage like this, which is difficult, our duty is not just to say, I wonder is it relevant, or maybe I'll, I'll pass over that. We should, we should have the courage to look at, at, at difficult passages and look for what it tells us about Jesus. So, with these thoughts in mind, I want us to look at this uh, account of uh, Dinah's uh, rape. And I'm hoping that we will learn something about redemption by looking at it. I've got three headings that I want to look at this uh, passage under. The first is the problem of sin. The second is human solutions to the problem of sin. And the third is rescue from sin. So firstly, this passage introduces us, I believe, to the more general problem of sin. The most obvious point that it raises is, when we look at at what Shechem did, it's obvious that what Shechem did was wrong. The Bible teaches very clearly that all sexual activity outside marriage is wrong. But in the case of what Shechem has done, it's particularly wrong. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but the books that I've looked at when I was preparing for what I would say tonight, there's a consensus. They all agree that the Hebrew word that describes what Shechem did, there's a, there's a connotation of force or violence about it. So it's right to translate what happened as a rape. And so, ultimately, although he uses some gentle words later on, Shechem is a rapist. He's done what's described as an outrageous thing in Israel. It's described as a thing that should not be done. And this raises a more general point about sin. Often, when we sin, other people are harmed. We don't might not be rapists, but in the case of the rape of Dinah, it's very obvious that someone has been harmed. But sin is first and foremost an offence against God. And what I'm hoping we can get from studying this passage tonight, and I say this to myself as much as to anyone else, I'm hoping we'll get a better understanding of how God views sin. Few people are going to disagree that rape is wrong, but why is it wrong? Do we tend to think of sin 
as being especially wrong when a person is harmed or is the greater offence the offence against God for example do we tend to think of taking God's name in vain as being a relatively victimless crime but a, a crime where someone is hurt we attach a special horror to it in, in short I'm asking how serious do we think sin is do we see it as a problem and is it a problem for us now again, harking back to some of the teaching that we've had in the last few weeks. Whilst we have the Ten Commandments that we looked at this morning, we know that Jesus explains more fully what the Ten Commandments really mean and how, how they're really to be applied in the New Testament. And the standard that Jesus sets for us is, is very, very difficult to achieve. In fact, it is impossible. And... A couple of months ago, I think it was, I was preaching through the early chapters of Romans where Paul sets out blow by blow how every single person in this room is in the same position as regards sin. Sin is a problem for all of us. And it doesn't matter whether you're a, a cannibal from a lost tribe or a morally upright person or even a religious goody two-shoes Sin is still a problem for you. And all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us are under God's wrath. But the bad news is that the rage that burns in Simeon and Levi's hearts to avenge their sister's rape, that's just a flicker, just a, a little pale reflection of God's righteous anger against sin. I think that God's anger against sin is something that we can't really ever fully grasp. Because we're always we can't we can't put ourselves in God's position and and so we can't um, any analogy we use falls short. Sin is a personal attack on who God is. It's God who defines what is right and wrong. He doesn't judge himself against some external standard. standard. He sets the standard. And so when we sin, we, we are sinning against God's nature, against who he is. We're effectively insulting God to his face. And, and, and this is what's so serious about it. As a, a, a kind of an illustration of this, imagine if you're in an orchestra and one of the greatest composers of all time... <coughs> is conducting and you say the notes you've given me for this clarinet solo I don't like them I'm going to play my own notes and I'm going to play them at my own rhythm at my own timing you offend that conductor you offend that composer what you're effect- effectively saying to them is you're no use at, co- at being a composer I'm better than you and that's what it's like when we sin against God because the analogy breaks down a bit, but the composer might respond in a number of different ways. He might be, he might be amused, he might be offended, he might get very angry. But the one thing he can't do is have you in his orchestra. He's got to get you out of the orchestra. If you're not going to, if you're not going to follow the music, and you're in the orchestra, you, you can't. You just can't be there. And in a way. 
The problem with sin is like that, it's just a lot more serious. So, the responses that Dinah's brothers have show us how human beings respond when we're sinned against. And they respond with horrible violence. And when we try and put ourselves in their position, we can start to understand a little bit of how God feels when he looks upon sin. We can't imagine a family where brothers are indifferent to the rape of their sister. And it's the same with God. He cannot be indifferent to sin. So Shechem and his sin, that introduces us to the more general problem of sin. I hope, I hope you see that. That what Shechem's done just can't be ignored. Something has to be done about it. And it's the same with, with sin, with our sin. And that's why it's relevant to us. So secondly, what can we do about it then? What, what, what are the sort of t- typical human responses to sin? And as we look through the account of, of, of how this unfolds, I believe we see two classic human attitudes to sin. The first is the way Hamor, Shechem's father, reacts. So it's basically, he comes and he says, look, this isn't quite regular, my son's done this, but let's come to a deal about it. And that's the way we are very often when we try and deal with our sin in front of God. We come to God as if he's an equal, as if Hamar comes to Jacob as if he's an equal and says, oh, come on, let's, let's, let's have a deal. I'll give you this, you give me that, we'll work it out. And that, that is never going to work with God. We don't tend to put it in such crude terms. But I think we can be guilty of the, that kind of attitude in, in, in different ways. Maybe we think that by coming to church tonight, or by making some compromises in our behaviour that are fairly easy for us, like, well, maybe I'll, I'll not swear, I'll not steal, I'll be a little bit better than your average Joe. And then maybe God will think, well, on average, this guy's quite nice, so, you know, he gives me a bit of respect, I'll let him off with some sins. That's not how it works at all. And how does Hamer's proposal go back down with Jacob and, uh, and Dinah's brothers in particular? I think it's obvious it's not going to be sufficient. I think we're, we maybe missed something in the, in the force of the, the Hebrew. I'm not a Hebrew scholar at all, but it's just the way this, this phrase comes out, an outrageous thing in Israel, something that should not be done. I'm not sure if the full force of that hits us the way it maybe did to the original readers. It's a problem, and it's, it's something that can't be, it can't be ignored. The wrongness of the thing is really being underlined with these words. So when Hamer just says, let's brush this under the carpet, regularise this marriage, everything will be happy. I think there's probably something in the faces of, of Dinah's brothers in particular that maybe just gives a wee clue that it's not, that's not going to cut it here. But it is the same with us. We can't ignore our own sin. We can't just brush it under the carpet, pretend a few good deeds are going to solve the problem. So the next approach that we see is Shechem himself. I've tried, as I've been thinking about this passage over the last few weeks, I've tried to picture this scene in my mind. Shechem's left all the negotiating to his dad. And he's probably seen, he's thinking, 
this is not going quite according to plan. It looks like the brothers are angry about something. I'll have to step in. I'll have to intervene myself. And he comes in and he says, I've got a new idea. Never mind all this deal. Name your price. That's effectively what he says is, how much do you want, guys? And again, that is a picture of how some of us are in trying to deal with our sin before God. We come thinking that we're rich, like Shechem. It says he's a prince, he's a ruler. You can just imagine the swagger, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty rich. It's not going to be a problem, you know, this is just one girl. I can make this alright, I'll just dig into my pockets a little bit deeper if I need to. It's really, imagine the rage that's burning now. Imagine, imagine how, how you would feel if someone in your family had been treated in that way and someone comes up who's pretty rich and says, right, well what do you need to make your, you know, what's it going to take? I'll, I'll pay up because I'm quite rich. It's not, it's not working for Simeon and Levi and it doesn't work with God. When we come to God and say, right God, that's it, I'm going to give you all the service, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to put all my money in the church, I'm going to do this, that and the next thing. It doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. It actually probably makes it worse. It's quite sobering to think that some of our own approaches are a bit like that when we try and appease God's anger with a, a Hamor type approach or a Shechem type approach. We read in Matthew chapter 7 the very chilling words really that many will say on that day Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and all the rest of it and Jesus says I tell them plainly I never knew you. So what about us? Are we sometimes guilty of trivialising our sin? Do we have these attitudes in our hearts? Thinking that sin is something that we can have a bit of come and go with God about because, well, come on, we're Christians and we, we go to church. Or do we have that Shechem attitude thinking, I'll pay my way out of this. I'm, maybe you don't put it in these terms exactly because maybe you can come to a good church where the gospel is preached properly but you still might act a little bit in these ways sometimes. So we've seen the problem of sin. We've seen these, these standard human responses of making a deal or paying the full price, except we can't. So what is the solution to the problem? Well, the reality is that we need to be rescued from our sin. And I hope it won't be too confusing now if I mix my metaphors a little bit. We've been looking at the problem of sin from the point of view of Shechem's sin. But there's another character in the story who also illustrates what it's like to be enslaved by sin. I'm talking about Dinah. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Dinah is a rape victim. She's been sinned against. But her situation in this story is quite like our situation in relation to sin. It, it doesn't really... There's a couple of things that come out in the passage. One is that we don't have any words from Dinah whatsoever. 
And the other is, it's not immediately clear from the passage, but it sort of seems like Dinah's been held as a bit of a prisoner in Shechem's house. She hasn't been allowed to go home, or it's not very clear, but it seems to me that she, she hasn't really had the, the freedom to go home. And I want us to try and imagine Dinah's situation. She's probably really young. And she's gone out to see the women of the land. And she's been born in a a nomadic family. She's been living in tents. And then suddenly they've pitched their tents beside a city. And she wants to go and see see what, what life is like in the city. And there she's basically lured into the house of this rich young prince and raped. And now she's not even able to go home. And worse than that, probably, from Dinah's point of view, she's been told, well, I'm off to basically buy you. And what is her situation to be like? She's facing a future where she's almost enslaved, you would say. She's, she, she's got no hope. She has no voice. She, none of her words are recorded here. She has, she's looking at the future in a, in a violent man's house um, for the rest of her life. And, and humanly speaking, there's, there's very little hope for her. Well, her situation is quite like ours as sinners. In some ways, Satan might speak tenderly to us at times, but he has no intention of letting us go. The Bible describes our situation as being enslaved, slavery to sin. We don't have the freedom to be righteous. We need some sort of miraculous rescue. And of course it's Jesus who rescues us from our sin. It's Jesus who renders our spiritual enemies utterly defenseless. I'm nervous about pushing that analogy too far because the Bible, I believe, unequivocally condemns the horrible violence of Simeon and Levi. For me, the the, this kind of cycle of violence and responding with with force like that in, in what seems like such a disproportionate way. It reminds me of some earlier characters we met way back in Genesis. Remember Lamech, who famously killed a man for wounding him. That's the kind of spirit that seems to come through in the way that these guys respond. And the, and the Bible is, is clear that what they did was wrong. In fact, right at the end of, of Jacob's life, because of what Simeon and Levi have done at a time when they should have been receiving a blessing from their father in effect they get a curse he reminds them of their violence and, and the future that is, is given to them in, in that blessing is really more like a curse they're told that they'll be scattered uh, because of their, their violent behaviour but leaving that aside for a moment um, God in his providence has used this behaviour to bring about a rescue that Dinah probably couldn't have, have foreseen. And she's, she's lifted out of that situation and in, a, in a way that she could never have, have, have predicted. And that is like us with the gospel. Jesus comes at just the right time and saves us from our sin. As a slight aside, something I was uh, asked about last week 
What, what would have been the right thing to do in this situation? Dinah is imprisoned. And you can see that the family are divided as to what they should have done. It sounds maybe like Jacob was quite happy to make a deal here. Well, I think this is a part of a recurring theme that we've had all through Genesis, where people try to solve their own problems. They try to make God's promises come true, and they resort to all sorts of creative ways of uh, bringing about the rescue that that they need by um, famously taking a, a, a surrogate wife or of lying about your, your wife and pretending she's your sister and all that kind of thing. There's a whole history of all that sort of behaviour in this family. And this, I think, is part of that. Dinah needed to be rescued. Now was not the time for part of the family of promise that we've been following since the very start of Genesis to just be assimilated into, into the nations round about uh, the promised land. But by taking things into their own hands, Simeon and Levi pay a heavy price. And, and their behaviour is, 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 is appalling. They should have been willing to trust God for some, a miraculous rescue, such as we see in many other places in the Bible. So to summarise, we've seen the problem of sin. Shechem's as a, as a, Shechem as a rapist gives us a clear example of a sin that can't be ignored but the reality is we are all guilty of sin and sin can't be ignored from the perspective of Simeon and Levi the idea that this behaviour could just be brushed under the carpet is unthinkable and so it is for God the idea that God could turn a blind eye to sin is is impossible because it's by sinning we are effectively saying we're insulting God to his face. So sin's a problem and we've looked again just to summarise we looked at a couple of, of ways that we try and deal with our own sins we try to make everything okay sometimes we're trying to come to a deal with God and we think we can solve the problem with our own resources by paying for our own sins. Even in, in, in before the Reformation, I believe that you could even quite literally, it was name your price, there were, there were things called indulgences which you could buy from the church and, and get a bit of a freeboard to sin. Such an idea is, is, is just ridiculous. It makes an absolute mockery of the reality of sin. These tactics... In the same way as the offence the must have been building with Simeon and Levi, these kind of tactics, when we come to God with them, I think they, they make things worse. Um, you can imagine uh, the rage that, that these guys were feeling. And lastly, we looked at our need to be rescued from sin. As I was saying, Simeon and Levi are condemned because of their, their extreme violence that we've just uh, read about there. But God, in his providence, has used these events to rescue Dinah from a situation that, humanly speaking, was just an impossible one. And it is the same for us. Jesus comes to rescue us in that way that is almost unbelievable. And how he does it, I hope you know, is that 
He comes with perfect righteousness and lives a life on the earth of perfect righteousness. But is willing to be considered by God the Father as a rapist, as, as someone who's committed all of our sins. It's, it's, it takes your breath away eh, the more you think about it. So if you're not a Christian tonight, I'm hoping that you'll make it a priority to think about for yourself whether or not you are guilty of sin in God's eyes. To think about whether or not it's true that it is a problem. And if you are willing to do that, to acknowledge your need to be rescued by Jesus. If you are a Christian tonight, then I hope, like me, you'll, you'll try and search your heart and see whether any of these rather natural human responses to sin still linger a bit in our hearts. These tend to blind us to the reality of the seriousness of sin. When we think that we can buy a bit of favour from God, when we think that we can um, come to a deal with Him, but when we come to fully realise our complete, total dependence on Christ and His righteousness, I hope that that will bring us to a deeper love for Jesus and a, a greater awareness of what he has done for us. I hope God will bless these thoughts to us.